This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. In the years after the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI lamented what he called the auto-demolition of the Church, a name that suggests that the Church was tearing itself apart. He was half right. A process certainly began at that time of tearing the Church down and building in its place an edifice, a false Church. It was sort of warned of in Catholic prophecy, something I've covered extensively in the past on this channel. Paul VI was onto something partially because he may have been the man single most responsible for kicking off that process once he became Pope and unfettered what were called the Pariti. They were the modernist experts at the council. The process was fed into and made nearly impossible to stop by placing real power into the hands of the laity, real power of influences in, at the parishes with the fabrication of parish councils, and real power in the dioceses with the replacing of many clerical operations with laity-run missions. In the years since, the laity would gain greater and greater influence in the church, with priests reduced to the role of the presider at mass, a sort of glorified sacramental social worker, with the laity, the real focus of worship, instead of Almighty God. We saw the advent of man-centered worship. This has had natural consequences throughout the church, and today I have an article for you from Germany that is one layman's plea to restore order in the church because the church is heading towards the cliff with the synodal process, at least in his estimation. So let's take a look at what the layman has to say, because I think you might agree with my assessment that his words are as relevant to those of us outside of Germany as they are to those in Germany. And he gives us historical parallels to previous errors and heresies that the church had to deal with. So let's get into this. First, as we like to do from time to time, let's check in with Francis, who often likes to impart great wisdom at his public addresses. During his recent Angelus address, Francis gave us a new and innovative take on the story of the prodigal son that really will frame this discussion for us today. Quote, The older son bases his relationship with his father on observance of commands, on a sense of duty, this could be our problem with God, to live a distant religion composed of prohibitions and duties, the consequences of which is rigidity. End quote. Ah yes, truly inspiring. It isn't that the loyal son suffered from basic pride and manifested his own sins upon the acceptance of his brother, as I'd always thought. It's apparently because the older son was too rigid which implies that it's the older son's fault that the younger son went off to live a worldly life and to squander his inheritance. This is similar to something Francis said during his consecration homily, by the way, where he couldn't resist hammering rigid trads even at that most solemn of occasions. Quote, And you, dear brother priests who are ministers of God's forgiveness, offer to those who approach you the joy of this proclamation. Rejoice the Lord is with you. Set aside rigidity, obstacles, and harshness. May you be doors wide open to mercy, especially in confession. We are called to act in the person of the good shepherd who takes his sheep into his arms and cradles them. We are called to be channels of grace that pour forth the living water of the Father's mercy on hearts grown arid. End quote. Just a reminder that Christ also did respond harshly and rigidly to people. He told them to go forth and sin no more. And I don't know about you, but when I go to confession, I could use a little more rigidity from priests from time to time. It might help to give me pause before I commit a grave sin in the future. But remember, Francis's words about rigidity here, remember that as we go forward, because they are going to be important to understanding the issue of modernism and ascendancy in the church today. 
Our story takes us to Germany, as they frequently do these days. Germany has become the test grounds for everything the modernist wants to accomplish, but without any subtlety whatsoever. Traditionally, the modernists are quite happy to make use of weasel words to achieve what they want without having the honesty or the spine to just come out and say the things that they want that contradict the faith, to such a degree that even most laymen can pick up on it now, unless, of course, the laity in question have been formed and trained to accept the errors in question for decades, which is precisely the problem in Germany. The goal of the synod in Germany is pretty much the same as the goal of the synods everywhere, to make real the goals and purposes of Vatican II and to empower the laity, both of which are goals that were expressed by Francis and the major promoters of the global synod of synodality. In Germany, this has taken on a whole new life because, in perfect keeping with the history of the church, the worst errors and schisms always seem to come out of the minds of German theologians, and it's no different in our time now than it was in Luther's. Perhaps ironically, then, it is that the laity are the ones most vocally resisting this call to modernize the church, to level the theological grounds, to empower the laity to choose their bishops and reduce the priesthood to a sacramental social worker. This is happening around the world, and it is worth noting that in resisting this move to modernize the church again, the laity are standing up against heresy using modern means. Today, I have such an example for you. A German layman wrote a letter to the bishops of the church in Germany to warn them of the dangers of their vaunted synodal way, which Francis endorsed in writing some months ago, suggesting rather strongly that their vision is not at odds at all for his vision of how the synod should go everywhere in the world. The layman warns of what I and others have been warning of as well, that the modernists are demolishing the Catholic church and replacing it with a false edifice, an ape of the church, that looks like it's Catholic but is not, to borrow a line from Catholic prophecy. The layman begins by comparing our time to the 13th century, when a group of heretics called Cathars were trying to remake the church into their own image. The church smashed that movement, but their name and errors endured. St. Francis of Assisi would arrive on the scene to restore theological order, as would other saints, and piety would return to the laity, at least for a time, and Pope Innocent III would lead the move back to Catholic orthodoxy. The the error of the Cathars, this writer tells us, was that under the name Catholic, The faith was no longer about what the church teaches, but what the individual believer takes on to believe for themselves. Does that sound familiar? It should. He then applies this to our time. Quote, Anyone who looks at our time from this point of view from the 13th century will see something similar today as in the time of the Cathars. Lay organizations have seized the media interpretive sovereignty over the Catholic and announce on the synodal path by their own authority what is now Catholic and what should and should not be. The fact that they have long since left the soil of the church no longer bothers anyone, least of all the bishops, like Cardinal Reinhard Marx, who likes to speak full-bodied about his church and how it has to change in order to remain viable for the future. Marx accepts with approval that this change would mean the complete abandonment of what is Catholic, and the bishops Botzing, Bode, Overbeck, to name just a few, never tire of. As in the time of the Cathars, Catholic is suddenly no longer what the church believes and teaches, but what individuals make up for themselves, be they bishops or lay people. What they all have in common, however, is that they, like the Cathars once did, want to have recognized the voice of the times, and at the same time they confuse it with the voice of the Holy Spirit, which, however, never contradicts the teaching of the church. What becomes visible behind all this is therefore definitely not the work of the Spirit of God. It is nothing but a terrifying crisis of faith. The church has become a marketing product that needs to be managed and that should continue to generate high church taxes. There is no longer any talk of the fact that Jesus Christ is the sole Lord of the church and that bishops and priests are only appointed to work in his vineyard and to administer his property, end quote. There is an idea permeating the church that is clearly something from the secular world, that the church should functionally democratize and the laity should be in charge. 
We saw this first with the advent of parish councils, which prevent any serious efforts of laity reforming their parishes and restoring orthodoxy, and we see it in the placing of unqualified laymen into sacramental positions and managerial positions over dioceses in various places in the world today. It's not a Catholic value in the slightest, regardless of what some grifter wants to tell you. The effect of this has been to change the faith, to rely on what the modernist calls vital imminence, which is essentially an emotional experience instead of rational and objective religion. The church becomes about the laity and their opinion of God, not about God himself. And this is where the hatred of rigidity comes from in the new church. Francis and the rest of the modernists like to hammer us for rigidly clinging to what the church always believed, to what it always taught, and to how it always worshipped. Because if the church is really about us and our experiences, like the modernists truly believe, then to be inflexible and resistant to ideas and values the world embraces is itself an evil. It is why Francis hammers us about being rigid. Never forget that. Quote, what you hear instead is something completely different, something like, church, that's us, or we can do it. On the other hand, you no longer hear anything about trust in Christ. Accordingly, quite a few bishops, meanwhile, regard the church as dis a disdainful non-governmental organization and believe that they could modernize it as they see fit and in their own way. What was once Catholic is now only perceived as a disruptive factor in the Reformation 2.0, which undoubtedly benefits the fact that hardly any Catholic knows what their Roman Catholic faith actually consists of and what it doesn't. Decades of lack of catechesis have left their pernicious marks on the faith of the average believer. And at this point, some will ask, perplexed, catechesis, what is that, actually? In addition, religious instruction in schools has degenerated into a social science subject that hardly deals with Catholic content anymore, and Catholic theology has also gotten completely out of hand at state universities. The fact that, according to a recent survey, 80% of religion teachers in Germany distance themselves from church teaching is hardly surprising here. In many dioceses, lay sermons, which were never permitted, have become just as normal as the fact that only subjective caricatures of the Catholic faith are proclaimed here, insofar as there is any talk of faith at all. In addition, the constant demands for the ordination of women, intercommunion, and the abolition of celibacy gnaw at the core identity of the Catholic, not to mention a change in marital act morals, and a softening of the sacrament of marriage. Overall, one could summarize the focus on God has given way to man's navel-gazing. An anthropocentric anti-church of the Protestant type is about to replace the Catholic Church and has been undermining it with Episcopal blessings for far too long. The external expression of this anthropocentric turn is, according to a word from Benedict XVI, the reversal of the direction of the celebration in the Holy Mass. The celebration towards the Lord has become a celebration towards people. If you are looking for a tangible symbol of the plight of the church, you'll find it right here. End quote. Anthropocentric in this case means man-centered, although traditionally the term anthropocentric usually means man-caused, but in, although maybe both work here. But that's what that word means, man-centered or man-caused. But the phrase anti-church is revealing. This brings to mind something Archbishop Fulton Sheen once wrote about the man of sin, the Antichrist. He, or more likely his false prophet, will twist the faith in the minds of all men until they have apostatized, and will replace it with a worship of man, and a worship of him instead of God. He will establish an ape of the church, a mimic that is empty of all divine influence and intercession, and will instead focus on man and his material needs. Fulton Sheen was brutally honest with what we should expect. Are we already well on the way to achieving it? Here's what he had to say about the man of sin and his false prophet. See if it sounds familiar. Quote, 
He will write books on the new idea of God to suit the way people live, induce faith in astrology so as to make not the will, but the stars responsible for sins. He will explain guilt away psychologically as repressed sex, make men shrink in shame if their fellow men say they are not broad-minded and liberal. He will identify tolerance with indifference to right and wrong, truth and error. He will spread the lie that men will never be better until they make society better, and thus have selfishness to provide fuel for the next revolution. He will foster science, but only to have armament makers use one marvel of science to destroy another. He will foster more divorces under the disguise that another partner is vital. He will invoke religion to destroy religion. He will even speak of Christ and say that he was the greatest man who ever lived. His mission, he will say, will be to liberate men from the servitude of superstition. In the midst of all his seeming love for humanity and his glib talk of freedom and equality, he will have one great secret which he will tell to no one. He will not believe in God. Because his religion will be brotherhood without the fatherhood of God, he will deceive even the chosen of God. He will set up a counter-church, which will be the ape of the church, because he, the devil, is the ape of God. It will have all the notes and characteristics of the church, but in reverse, and emptied of its divine content. In desperate need for God, he will induce modern man in his loneliness and frustration to hunger more and more for membership in a community that will give him enlargement of purpose, without any need of personal amendment, and without admission of personal guilt. End quote. Sheen makes it sound like the Antichrist will preach a false gospel of modernism, which should be food for thought for anyone comfortable with the direction the church is moving in. To close, I'll offer this. Rigidity is the antidote to modernism. We are to cling to the faith. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, St. Paul tells us what to do in trying times like ours. Quote, Therefore, brethren, stand fast, and hold the traditions which you have learned, either by word or by our epistle. End quote. Cling rigidly to the faith, even if that means standing in opposition to a bishop who wants you to accept his novelties, or a priest who wants to offer the Mass irreverently, or even to a presumed pontiff who seeks to suppress sacred tradition and make the Church more worldly in an effort to bring about the universal Church of Man. Cling to what was taught at all times before the imposition of weaponized ambiguity in the Church. That may be all we have, moving forward as times grow darker, before the triumph of the Immaculate Heart comes. But I want to know what you thought of this. So, what did you think of this letter of Fulton Sheen's warnings, which I have brought to your attention many times in the past and will continue to do so in the future? So let me know in the comments, please, what you thought of all this. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. And share this on social media if you can. It does help also with our hosts' lovely games they like to play in that regard. And as always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.